So today we're looking at, and we're going to be finishing and wrapping up an eight-week series, the first ever eight-week series we've ever done. Yeah, I'm gonna and this is great. My, my bookmark is uh, two shots free. That is so UK. Yeah, that is. When you present this card, I've been keeping it, and one of these days I'm, I'm going to present it, and I'm going to get those two free shots. Brat, brat. So um, we're looking at Exodus 30 and verse 17 and we've been doing a series called artifacts so we've been looking at the eight different artifacts that were made after the children of israel left um egypt they were slaves they're now free they're building a new society a new institution new way of living new mindset new way of seeing new way of being and um one of the things that we've constantly said is like when you say for example if you go prison um you get all institutionalized and when you come out into the real world there's this huge void, you don't know what to fill it with. Um, that's true, I've worked with guys that have been in prison and guys that have been in young offenders, and when they come out, there's this vacuum, and what they fill it with next determines who they become. Whether they have a good chance of going out, living a different life with hope, positivity, and, and change, or slipping back into the old habit. If they don't rearrange this vacuum and put something meaningful in it, they're screwed. Generally speaking, that's pretty much the way it goes. Huge generalization, but um, it's true 100% of the time. <laughs> no, it's not, but it's true a lot of the time. So when we look at this story and this narrative and the eight different artifacts we've looked at, what we're looking at is the people that are in slavery, they're now free. All these artifacts have been artistically and prophetically created. So they're kind of speaking to them and they become a part of their everyday lives and they speak to them who they are and they constantly remind them. There's a rhythm in everything. So for us, we may see a lot of these things as like um, stupid um, religious practices um, from our context of today and the world we live in, which is very much a secular society. We look at some of these things and think, oh, it's just this needless repetition. But actually, when you've come from the inside, when all you've known is slavery and building bricks and you're building a new life, you need that. You need that rhythm, that structure that just says, this is who you are. That is not who you are. This is who you are. That's not who you are. This is who you are. And so in all these items, you kind of have different layers to it. Now today, the last item we're looking at is the bronze basin. I'm probably the only person in the world right now excited to be speaking about a bronze basin. I don't think I've ever... You try Googling talks on it and like, no one's really doing that. I'm not being funny. Um, literally no one is doing that. <laughs> no one is talking about the bronze basin. Um, and I can understand why. But today we're going to be doing that. Now the first thing about it is this, is we looked at different items. So you have this outer court separating the tabernacle, which is God's dwelling tent, from the people. The people are all gathered around on the outside, all their tents are outside it. And when you come in from the east-facing entrance, which is a picture for them, symbolizing with the gate in Eden, which was east-facing, a reminder that what was, that now isn't, and they're separated from, and the people can't just go into the outer court at this particular stage in their history. They can't just go in and engage with this God. Um, there's all this different symbolism and ritual that has to be carried out for any kind of engagement or participation with him. And so one of the first things that happen is as you come in through that gate, you come into the outer court, is the first thing in front of you is an altar. The second thing behind it is the bronze basin and then the, the tabernacle. So between the altar and the tabernacle is this bronze basin. So the idea being, even as you enter in, the first thing is kind of their sacrifice. Um, then there's bronze basing, and then there's coming to the tabernacle. When you come in, you go into the holy place, which has the lampstand, the table for bread, and the altar for incense. And then the curtain, then the other side has 
the Ark of the Covenant, which is on its own in there. Now, whenever they would come in, the priests would come in and they'd wash their hands and they'd wash their feet. So as they would go in to do the ministry, they had to do the services with the different artifacts and in different engaging in different ways, they had to wash their hands, they had to wash their feet. When they left, before they left, they had to wash their hands and wash their feet again. This is like a huge moment of symbolism for all of us because kind of when we come to the throne of God, when we come to engage with God, there is a sense where we wash our hands and we wash our feet. When we wash our hands, what we're washing is we're taking the symbolism of action. So it's the action, it's the things you do, the deeds you've done. So it's this cleansing away of the things that you've done and washing them. That's why they wash their hands, to symbolize the wrongdoing they've done. They cleanse their hands before they touched anything. The reason they wash their feet is because your feet are where you go. Now for them, they had a lot, a lot of their words are very pictorial and describe different ideas, even in the lettering and the way the lettering's drawn, even in the way that the, um, the words are spoken, the way they communicate with one another. And their understanding for the word sin, which was shatar, meant to walk the wrong way. So for this people, when they associated how you lived your life, they associated with walking. They associated with their feet. So it's kind of like you walk the wrong way. So throughout the whole of the Old Testament, people, generation after generation, have been saying, that's the wrong way, that's the wrong way, that's the wrong way, that's the wrong way. In the New Testament, this rabbi, vocational rabbi, shows up and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the only way to God is through me. People then had a choice to repent, turn away from the way they went, and to follow a new way. So the idea with the bronze basin washing your hands is you wash away the actions, the wrongdoing that you've done. They would wash their feet because they were saying, I've gone the wrong way. The places that I go, the lifestyle that I have. So it symbolizes more lifestyle. So there's a sense where some of the things that go wrong in our lives are action-based, so it's washing hands. The other area of our lives where things go wrong are lifestyle-based. So they're continually, perpetually going the wrong way, a consistency to it. Hands can be one-off instances, moments that happen by accident without thinking, all those kind of stuff. Your feet, it's much more committed, much more um, committed to a particular direction that needs to be cleansed, washed away, and changing. Now, the, one of the unique things about the bronze basin is, well, we talked about the different metals in the, earlier in the series, so you might need to check out on those weeks to get all of the imagery. But for bronze, it's about judgment. So the idea is that even as you enter in, as you come to it, the way they would see bronze is they would see judgment. And so this understanding of the bronze basement, is, bronze basin, not basement, there's not a whole basement underneath the tabernacle. The bronze basin is that you come and you face the judgment for your actions, you wash it away, and you face the judgment for your lifestyle, the choice that you've committed to that's maybe moving in the wrong direction, and you face that and you wash it away. One of the symbols that I like in the imagery that's created by this particular artifact is though the outside of the whole basin is all bronze and we don't know the dimensions or the size of it what we do know is that inside was like a mirror and I don't know about you but I can think of times in my life even periods in my life where one of the hardest moments in the day for me has been, has been getting up and the hardest part about getting up has been going to the bathroom and washing my face it's not because I'm so unbelievably inept of any bodily function and skills that every time I go to wash my face, I chuck the water over my shoulder. <laughs> it's no challenge like that, but where the sink is, the sink is always in pretty much most houses nowadays that I've been to, friends' houses, my own. It's always pretty much covered in front of it. There's a mirror on it. And it's kind of like you wash your face and then you see yourself in the mirror. And I don't know about you, but there have been times where looking in that mirror first thing in the morning is the hardest thing in the world. 
And it's not because I look drastically different from this and that there are layers of makeup covering up all the blemishes on my face. But it's because I know who I am. And there's this sense with washing and washing away that like, yeah, the dirt's come off my face, but there is dirt that won't go away. There are things that are going on in my life that hurt too deeply. And looking at myself first thing in the morning, I have found far too depressing and far too painful and even paralyzing to the point of not wanting to move ahead with my day because of that. Now, there's powerful imagery in the bronze basin because of the very fact that the mirror is not above it, the mirror is in it. So the mirror is in the basin. So the people would come and as they would wash their hands, the first thing you would do is you'd be able to see your reflection, not just on the water, but in the mirror within the basin. And as you would wash your hands, the first thing you'd see is the ripple effect. You would see the ripples pulsating throughout the basin. And then there will come a moment at the end when you finish washing your hands and the image will be still and will be rested. And there is a, there is a message in there of life change. There is a message of there of the change that the cleansing can have and that out from this place, the ripple effects when we cleanse ourselves can be huge. And I'm not talking about dove or fairy liquid. I'm talking about cleansing us. There are moments where when we receive that kind of a interaction with the divine, the way you live your life, the way you live your day so much more free, the ripple effect just flows out to everyone you know and everywhere you go. Your mindset's different, your attitude's different, the way you treat people's different, the way you interact with people's different, the way that you speak is different, the way you carry yourself is different, the way you think about the future is different. You no longer think of an impossible situation that will never change, but you think hopefully for what can happen, believing ahead at what lays ahead of you. So in this, before they even get to anything, you come in and you start with this cleansing and this message that you are cleansed, that this will change everything and that you are whole. And then from there, they would then move to the other um, artifacts and ordinations and things that they had to do. Now, initially with the priests, they would come and they would do this once and it would be once and for all. So it's a really weird thing to read because on the one hand you read, they did this once and it was done. And then they did it every day, like <laughs> frequently. And then you're like, well, which is it? Either it's once and for all or, it, or it's every day. Like it, it can't be both. It, it doesn't really make sense. But the way it is, is like when you became a priest for the first time, you would wash your hands and you would wash your feet. That's it, you're clean, you're a priest and you're done to be a priest. But then in your role as priest, you're gonna do this constantly. And it's gonna happen again and again and again. And I think actually that's a really good, healthy picture of the Christian life. If we're to think of ourselves, and if we think to think of what um, the idea of the gospel and the notion of the gospel is that Jesus has cleansed us, Jesus forgives of our sins. We're whole, we are righteous in God's eyes, and that he sees us as he sees his own son, Jesus. Perfect, spotless, without any blemish. He sees me and you that way. But you and I live a life that doesn't feel like that and feels very distant and very far from that. So on the one hand, there is it's done. On the other hand, we need a daily washing, not for God, for us. Because mentally, the way you and I think, the way you and I see things, totally, totally different. So the frequent daily washing is on the one hand for the priests, for all the people in the nation, but ultimately it's a very good consistent reminder of a truth that is true and is done, 
but serves as a daily reminder that it's true. Because you and I have this moment, I don't know about you, like, and it's why you see at some services, I remember being on this youth camp, we're in this tent together, and um, me and another youth leader on one side, and the young people in the other compartment, and just heard them having this weird chat about that night. They'd seen some guys go forward for prayer, and they were like, I'm pretty sure I saw them go up for prayer the night before, and the night before that. Actually, I'm pretty confident that for the whole of this camp, that person has gotten through it every single time. And the, guy, the other guy next to him goes, oh, that's because he's, you know, he's born again. So he's born again, 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 again. And I'm sitting there like, what? And so I just listened to this whole conversation and he's like, well, he's born again, 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 again. And we were like, oh man, we really need to like do some teaching when we get back with these guys and kind of chat through what this is. It's like, Jesus has done it, it's done, that's it, final, bang. It's finished, it's done, okay? But there is a sense for us mentally to need that imagery again and again and again I need that confirmation need that reassurance need that that thing that kind of keeps us going so on the one hand it is done once and for all on the other hand it's done frequently it's done daily it's done regularly and I think for us it's really important sometimes to have the thought that I need to consistently do this for my own well-being, for my own attitude, for the way that I'm going to live, the way that I'm going to act. Some guys I know are like, yeah, theologically I know it's done, great it's done. But actually, sometimes I've looked at guys who have this great idea that it's, it's done, done, but then the way they live their lives and the way they carry on, I think, man, you know what you really could do with some reminders every now and then because you're really in an unhealthy place. You've got this great theology, but in the reality of how you live right now and the, the vibe you're giving off, the attitude you're giving off, None of that, it's, it smells funky. And sometimes we need that constant reminder. Now, they did it going in to do the ministry. And what I love about it is they did it coming out. Which destroys a kind of a myth. Although they had a priesthood and they had, yeah, there's not just a case of you get clean to do the service of God. You get clean to do the service of the people as well. So there's a sense of getting clean before coming to God and engaging with Him, because if you didn't, you'd die. But there's the same holiness and sacred nature of washing at the end to go out and to love people and to serve your community and to do your priestly function with one another. So, so often I catch guys that I chat to in conversation, the way they talk about things, the way they've done ministry, the way they've done church, is they get all flipping power rangered up when they go to minister on a stage or a platform but then they don't power ranger up when they hang out with their mates. And I'm like, what are you doing, dude? Like, it's, 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 it's everything. And if anything, if I was gonna choose one which I'd prioritize more, I'd wanna be more power rangered up for my mates. That's me. I'm not saying you should choose, because you shouldn't. And in this passage, they don't choose. It's both. You power ranger up to go and engage with God, and you power ranger up to go out and serve the community. They wash their hands going in, they wash their hands coming out because both of those things are sacred. What happens in there matters because what happens in there is engaging with the story of restoration and redemption and reconciliation for, for that individual. You then go out for what? You're saved for what? You're saved for good works. So you go out from there to be a part of a wider reconciliation, redemption story where you are reconciling man to God by proclaiming it, by living it, by serving it, by doing it, by being a part of that community with the right frame of mind and attitude, which is totally different from everything else. So, 
there's a few confusing bits and pieces as well with this. Like, basically they've washed the hands and the feet, but there was one instance, and only one instance in the whole of the Bible where that didn't happen. Um, Moses washes Aaron and his sons completely. <laughs> completely washes them from the, the bronze basin. And when you bear that in mind and you look at Peter, what you see is you see something quite unique in his conversation with Jesus. Which if you don't know that story, don't know the context, don't know the bronze um, basin, you don't really understand it. So when they come for the Passover meal and they're all seated in this U-shaped kind of table and there are different seats. So on one side you have, at one end of the U, you have Jesus in the second seat from the end. You have, um, I think John on the left, well, John is one side, Judas is the other, the two best seats in the house other than Jesus' seat and then all the way around the, on the opposite end you have Peter and Peter's sitting on the seat on the end and basically that's the servant's seat and in the days leading up to it they've been arguing who's the greatest in the kingdom of God and all that kind of stuff Jesus has been saying it's the last it's all about being last it's all about being last Peter's a bit peed off that Judas and John have those seats he gets why Judas has it Judas is the treasurer he looks after the money he probably doesn't understand why John is picked ahead of him and probably a bit upset about it so Peter's sitting there sulking so the servant's supposed to get up and wash everyone's feet. Peter is sitting there sulking about his seat position, so he doesn't get up and wash anyone's feet. And then Jesus gets up from his place, and then he washes the feet from Judas and John all the way around the other disciples, and comes around to Peter. When he comes around to Peter, he goes to wash his feet. Peter's a bit embarrassed by the situation, but he's still, he, he sounds humble in his answer, but he's not humble in his answer. He's very prideful. So Jesus says, like, Peter goes, you're not washing my feet. Jesus goes, I need to wash your feet. And he says, don't wash my feet, wash all of me. Wash all of me. He's still fighting for position and he's still trying to be seen as better than the others. So even in this moment that he's washed everyone else's, he wants to stand up. It's not a case of guilt. He's trying to position himself with Aaron and his sons and the priesthood. A one-off, unique moment that happened in the Old Testament, stands out alone, and Peter's saying, wash all of me. And Jesus isn't having it. Jesus isn't allowing this pride to carry on anymore. He just says, Peter, only your feet are dirty. If you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part in me. And then Jesus washes his feet and it's dealt with. And so often I find one of the biggest threats in the Christian faith that needs to be cleansed more than anything else and has done more damage to my life and done more damage to churches and individuals literally comes down to pride and wanting to make more of something than it actually is and not embracing the moment in front of you for the sacred nature that it is. I can look at today and I can see it one of two ways. Now I hang around with quite a lot, um, number of different pastors and guys in different networks and some of them are hugely successful, huge congregations, crazy budgets and they are as far as pastors go living the dream. And I can always hold this moment here and now, and I can hold it in tension as I have done for large parts of doing City Hill and been miserable and broken with myself because I'm holding it there instead of going, there is a sacred moment happening right in front of me, right here, right now. And until I let go and I allow Jesus to wash my feet and just say, this is what it is. And I let go of, of results. I let go of all those things. I embrace Jesus and I embrace the opportunity to engage with him here and now for what it is. I don't try and make it more than it is. I don't try and cling to a past story, a past narrative and go, oh, 
have to keep hold of this, but I let go and I say, Jesus, here I am. I am yours. Cleanse my hands. Cleanse my feet, my actions, and the way that I live. May I walk freely. May I walk differently. Until we do that, we live in this frustrated, trapped kind of position, and we end up in the same slavery that they had in Egypt. But we kid ourselves thinking we're free, and we have to let go. And whatever it is that you have to let go of, you have to let go of it. And whatever disillusionment you're holding on to, trying to make something out to be a bigger deal than it is, you have to let go of. Because if you don't, you're ultimately going to live a life that's unfulfilled, lacking in joy. Whereas God wants us to be joyful right here, right now. He wants us to live in the present. You see, Jesus comes to set us free from a number of things. He comes to set us free from the past, our regrets. And he comes to set us free from our anxieties. Worries about the future may never happen. He wants us to live in the present, whole, awake, and in constant connection and prayer with him. Living lives, fully present fully in love with the environment we're in because we're clean. I'm clean from yesterday's regrets and I'm clean from my anxieties facing the future. Now, to wrap up the entire series, we have a number of things. So Jesus is the tabernacle. He literally, it literally says in John's gospel that in the beginning was the word. The word was God, the word was with God, verse 14, and the word became flesh and blood and lived among us, which the way they would have understood that, the way they would have heard it is the word became flesh and tabernacled among us because the whole idea of the tabernacle from the beginning was that God wanted to live among his people. He did. He rocked up. Flesh and blood. Jesus. He enters the outer court in the Gospels leading up to Passover and he flips over the tables and money changes because he wants to create a space where people can connect with God which is what we've done at City Hill. We've taken that same thing. We've seen church in the UK and in the wider Western world making money the main thing and we flip the tables over. We haven't taken up an offering in two and a half years and we're still not taking up an offering because too many young people I chatted to had felt too abused in church by the way churches have behaved with money. So we removed it away, we flipped the tables over because that's what Jesus did and we created a space to just connect with God. And um, God's been faithful to us, I'm not gonna lie. Like, he's been very faithful, he's provided. We've had support given through the website and other means. We've created the space for us just to connect with him. The outer court. Jesus washes his disciples' feet. He teaches them to walk in a new way, to be a new priesthood, just like the bronze basin. We come, we allow Jesus not just to, we don't just wash our hands, we wash our feet. So often we wash our hands all the time. We cleanse away the actions, but sometimes we need to cleanse away a lifestyle and live a new, empowered life. Jesus is the bread of life on the table for bread. This is my body broken for you and for many. He is the sacrifice on the altar and he's the altar he's the blood that's taken from it that's dipped on the altar for incense on the four horns that we heard in the talk last week he is the great light on the lampstand which was shaped like a tree and you had the little patterns on the seven candles the one centerpiece is jesus and he spoke about that relating to Eden and the imagery was relating to Eden but then Jesus talks about it takes that picture of the great lampstand he says I am the vine you are the branches we find ourselves in Jesus and through that we shine he was known as the great light in Isaiah and when the people came to hear the great light he said you are the light of the world he has called us to join in him with illuminating and shining bright with the way that we live Jesus is the sacrifice for sin on the altar he is the means through his blood that we have forgiveness that we are enabled 
to enact and relate to God and to one another. There is only one incense that is used on the altar for incense, which is the intercession, and the smoke would waft through the curtain towards the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. And just as there is one incense, one way to intercede and to interact with God, there is one way, and that is through Jesus alone. He makes it clear that he is the only way to God. There was a curtain between separating the Holy of Holies, and when Jesus died, the curtain was torn from the top to the bottom. The Spirit of God no longer is restricted by a curtain on the mercy seat, but that we can now boldly approach the throne of grace. The Spirit of God now lives in you and I. There are two symbols before you even get to the tabernacle. There's an altar where blood is spilt, and there is the basin where water is kept for the cleansing and the washing of hands and of feet. In blood, life is taken away. In water, life is given. And in Jesus, both his blood and his water were shed on the cross when they pierced his side. Blood and water flowed mingled down because he is the means that we receive life through his life being taken and through his, the water being given to cleanse us. These two symbols are there that we could then enter in at that moment. The curtain then gets torn, but we can enter in and we can have direct access to God. That is our series on the artifacts. I'm going to pray for us and um, I'm going to wrap things up there. Father, I thank you for the bronze basin. I thank you for all the symbolism, all the artistry and the prophetic nature that comes with it. May it speak to us. Father, this day we come, may our hands be cleansed. May you cleanse away the actions and the wrong deeds and the wrongdoing. May you also cleanse our feet, that we, we may walk different, that we may walk in you, that we would turn away, that we would repent, that we would repent from Shatar, we move away from our sin and we would follow the way that is Jesus, that we would live empowered, invigorated and free lives, free from the mentality of slavery, free from yesterday's regrets, free from tomorrow's anxiety, living fully present, engaged with you and all that we are. We just pray that this week would be a week where we would engage with you, where we would live for you, um, that we would shine bright for you. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. May we not be hidden. May we show who you are, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. That's...